You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Tim Rice, and this is episode 55 of my podcast, Get Onto My Cloud. It's often crossed my mind, and does so more and more as the years roll by, that most of the characters and stories I've attempted to adapt, write, or rewrite during my time in musical theatre and other assorted entertainments, crossed my mind that they first intrigued or inspired me when I was young. And by that I mean very young, mainly under 10 years old. Joseph and his coat of many colours was my favourite Bible story. My first moderately intelligent grasp of the gospel stories as per Matthew, Mark, Luke and John came from the magnificent Eagle comic in the 1950s. And Ava Perron originally entered my consciousness because I collected stamps. Any merit that my work with Disney Animation may have is largely derived from my great love of nearly all animation, and in particular, the first Disney classics I saw, such as Dumbo, Peter Pan, and Alice in Wonderland, not to mention MGM's brilliant Tom and Jerry, at least brilliant while Hannah and Barbera were in charge. Working with the Disney production and creative teams in the 1990s, was not only a delight because of my chance to become a small part of the Disney legacy, but made easier because as a cartoon and American comic book obsessive from way back, I was never bewildered when my Burbank studio colleagues referenced Little Lulu, Howdy Doody, Scrooge McDuck, Casper the Friendly Ghost, or Woody Woodpecker, not all of whom were ever household names in the UK. Then I became obsessed with cricket, aged nine, just in time to see England win the Ashes for the first time in 19 years. I didn't know it at the time, but I was into everything that really mattered to me in later life by the time I was 12. And I believe this is true for nearly everyone. You will be more influenced, for good or bad, by what happens to you at your primary school than at your secondary school. I was 12 when I first became aware of Elvis Presley and rock and roll. In 1957, I bought my first pop record, a 78 revolutions per minute shellac platter highly breakable, Tommy Steele's Singing the Blues, which I played in Get Onto My Cloud episode 41 while talking about the Guinness Book of British Hit singles. Inevitably, Singing the Blues did get broken after about six months, eventually replaced by an unbreakable 45 RPM copy. I embarked upon a lifetime obsession with popular music, which back then revolved almost totally around the charts. The hit parade, the new Musical Express Top 30, was my Bible. But in fact, the real clue, re what was to happen to me later, had occurred well before Tommy Steele, Elvis's All Shook Up, and Ricky Nelson's Poor Little Fool. In 1955, my parents splashed out recklessly on a four-speed record player, and their what seemed massive collection of maybe 15 to 20 long-playing records featured principally soundtracks and cast albums of great musicals from Gilbert and Sullivan onwards. I remember they had The Pirates of Penzance, Oklahoma, 
South Pacific, The Pajama Game, High Society, Kiss Me Kate, My Fair Lady, my absolute favourite, Damn Yankees, and British shows such as Salad Days and Grab Me a Gondola. Grab Me a Gondola? That was a 1956 show written by James Gilbert, book and lyrics, and Julian Moore, music, which started at the Lyric Theatre Hammersmith and then ran at the Lyric in the West End for 18 months. It was a hit. It starred Joan Heal. The man I love must be polite and still be rudely healthy. And just to get the balance right, he also must be wealthy, debonair and full of charm, strong, devoted, gay and calm. The day I have the luck to find him, he will find me right behind him. To be master in my house Cause a man who's a mouse is disaster as a spouse He wants a husband who is sad I want a man, not a gnome From an Edgar Allan poem Cause a man who's a gnome can't be said to grace the home I like the tan of a bronze Apollo With some muscles like a tree I want a man who the girls all follow But who only follows me I want a man, not a grouse Who complains when I carouse I want a man, want a man, want a man Not a mouse I want a man, not a bee With his honey on his knee Cause a man who's a bee has no money bags for me She won't be somebody I take great pains and I try to do more for a man of strong physique. He won't need brains or a sense of humor if his jaw is solid teeth. Oh, I'm mad! Not a toad croaking love in my abode. Man, Not a Mouse, sung by Joan Heal from the 1956 British musical hit Grab Me a Gondola. Its lyric and message, seven decades on, sound like a prototype of a feminist rallying call. Lyricist James Gilbert thus way ahead of his time, although I suspect his main purpose, quite rightly, was simply to write a funny and powerful scene, which he did. Joan's co-star in the show was a young Dennis Quilly. Little did I know when I listened to my parents' copy of that album that one day both Joan and Dennis would be in shows that I wrote. Joan as Potiphar's wife in Joseph's first West End run in 1973, and Dennis as a brilliant Molokov on the 1984 original album of chess. He was one of the most delightful actors you could hope to meet. The third leading role in Grab Me a Gondola was taken by Jane Wenham, who had a long and distinguished TV career right up until a role in Downton Abbey in her 80s. Once married to Albert Finney, she died in 2018, aged nearly 91. 
Sad to say, Joan Heal and Dennis Quilly have also left the stage, but their voices and vivacity live on, for me, on vinyl. Grab Me a Gondola, all but forgotten now, but not by me, was a substantial success, running for nearly 700 performances from late 1956, a comedy with a plot based around the Venice Film Festival, inspired apparently by a hugely celebrated publicity photograph of the glamorous British actress Diana Dawes being thrown into a canal wearing a mink bikini. Other future British stars in Grab Me a Gondola included Una Stubbs and Joyce Blair. Strange to relate, I never had any great desire to go and see Grab Me a Gondola or indeed any of the great shows whose soundtrack and original cast albums I devoured avidly. Because, even pre my rock and roll epiphany, I was already a vinyl junkie and liked nothing more when listening to the show or film albums than to study every aspect of the sleeve and indeed the label. Obviously, I didn't study the label of the album that I was currently playing. Grab Me a Gondola was on the HMV label, His Master's Voice, a terrific label name with a fabulous logo of Nipper the Dog listening to an 1899 vintage phonograph. HMV, His Master's Voice, was part of EMI, the company that would be my first music business employers in 1966. Grab Me a Gondola's HMV number was CLP1103. EMI also seemed to own the King and I movie album, but that was on Capital, LCT6108, as were my parents' Frank Sinatra albums. Our American copy of Kiss Me Kate was on MGM and had, like most American albums, more sturdy sleeves than the average British LP, and its number was E3077. Enough! I was really into the record business as much as the songs, without realising it. After Tommy Steele launched my own collection in late 1957, I played that and subsequent treasured purchases over and over again on my parents' record player, still mainly referred to as the gramophone by the entire family. Parents just about tolerated the endless repetition of our extremely limited music library, which reached a total of around 10 singles by late 1958. But their collection was still far more extensive. And inevitably, after the 19th consecutive play of the Every Brothers Bird Dog, I continued to spin many platters from what I now see as their very sophisticated record library. One of my father's favourite singers was Eartha Kitt. Eartha remained a significant star right up until her death at 81 in 2008, and today is best remembered for her hits Just an Old Fashioned Girl and the Christmas Perennial Santa Baby. I also loved her first hit record, which made the US top 30 in 1953, Uskadara. She recorded Uskadara with Henri René and his orchestra at Manhattan Center, New York City, on March the 13th, 1953. The song was released by RCA Victor Records, as catalog number 20-5284 in the USA, and by EMI in Britain on his master's voice label as catalog number B-O-R-G. The anorak in me is getting carried away. Here is that great single by Eartha Kitt from my father's collection. Uşküdara giderken aldı da bir yağmur 
Ishkudara is a little town in Turkey, and in the old days, many women had male secretaries. Oh well, that's Turkey. Ishkudara gideri ken bil mendil buldum. Ishkudara gideri ken bil mendil buldum. Mendele men ichene de lokum doldurdum. They take a trip from Ushkudara in the rain, and on the way they fall in love. He's wearing a stiff collar and a full dress suit. She looks at him longingly through her veil and casually feeds him candy. Oh, those Turks. Ushkadara, Eartha Kitt. In 2002, Thomas S. Hischak, in the Tin Pan Alley Song Encyclopedia, stated, quote, Ushkadara, a Turkish tale, 1953, is a spirited novelty number written by Stella Lee that's adapted from a Turkish song. Although Edie Gourmet introduced the song with a successful record, in America, the piece is most associated with Eartha Kitt, who sang it both in a grossly misrepresented English translation and an atrociously mispronounced Turkish, but she had a best-selling disc and kept it in her nightclub act for years. I'm glad my dad never read Mr. Hishak's review. I don't know much about Stella Lee, who wrote the song. I own a modest boat down in Cornwall that was partly built in Turkey, so I've named it Ushkadara as a tribute to both my father and to Ertha, neither of whom ever had the chance for a ride in it. The childhood impact of the stories of Joseph and Jesus in my life was easy to recognize once I began attempting to recreate them in what Andrew Lloyd Webber and I hoped was an original way many years later. The stories had resonated throughout my school days in many ways, compulsory chapel, divinity O-level, the aforementioned eagle comics, and so forth. 
but I never thought much about Ava Perron since she made her debut in my early life in my stamp collection. Stamp collecting was a big thing for kids in the 1950s, and I don't really know whether it has many young followers today, although it's clear that despite emails and every type of online communication, postage stamps are still going strong and remain a great investment with the advantage of not taking up very much space. A British Guyana one-cent magenta sold for over $8 million in 2021. Who said philately will get you nowhere? My stamp album in 1954 contained a page for every major territory of the world, arranged alphabetically. I don't recall ever getting my grubby hands on a stamp from Afghanistan, Albania, or Andorra, so the Argentina page was the first in my book actually to contain stamps, and they all featured a very glamorous-looking lady who I discovered was the recently deceased Ava Perón, wife of the then-president Juan Perón. Her features were strikingly more attractive than the -the run-of-the-mill mugshot on the stamps of many other territories, always excepting our own monarch. But while Ava's image remained in my mind, I learned very little more about her until I heard a 30-minute radio documentary about her in 1973. I often wonder, if I'd not been aware of Ava in my stamp collection days, whether I would have bothered to have listened to that radio programme. But I'm glad I did. Then cricket. Well, in 1986, Andrew Lloyd Webber and I were asked by Prince Edward, who'd been working at Andrew's really useful company's theatrical offices, whether we could write something for the Queen's 60th birthday. To be fair, he asked Andrew, who was kind enough to invite me on board. I offered an idea for a mini-musical lasting for just half an hour, which involved a love triangle of a cricketer, his lady love, and a racing cad named Vincent St. Ledger. It was called simply Cricket, or Hearts and Wickets. There's a lot more about this in my podcast number 43, but suffice it to say here that it went down well with Her Majesty. And although many of the tunes have gone on to greater things, the abandoned words are available in full, in a marvellous anthology of cricket verse, a book compiled by Hubert Doggett and David Raven Allen, entitled A Breathless Hush. One other great interest of mine when I was very young was the solar system, although I'm afraid my obsession with the sun and the planets faded a little as Elvis and company took over, rather as I've noticed children today being major dinosaur experts until they're about eight, then they switch to more accessible topics such as football. However, My planetary interest has simply lain dormant. And if I were to attempt a major new enterprise in whatever format, the sun and its eight planets, nine when I was young, are in with a shout of being major characters. I'm not sure if my early 80s obsession to write a musical about chess players and romance in the shadow of the Cold War was sparked off by some extreme youthful experience, so it may be the exception that proves the rule. Maybe Dennis Quiddy got the role of Molokov in chess because of Grab Me a Gondola. More likely, though, simply because he was a supreme actor and singer. Here he is with Tommy Shorbey in a scene from the original chess album that leads into Anatoly's first big number, Where I Want to Be. The man is utterly mad. You're playing a lunatic. That's the problem. He's a brilliant lunatic. You can't tell which way he'll jump. Like his game is impossible to analyze. You can't dissect him, predict him, which of course means he's not a lunatic at all. What we've just seen is a pathetic display from a man who's beginning to crack. He's afraid. 
He knows he isn't the player he was, and he won't get it back. Nonsense. Why do my seconds always want to believe? Third-rate propaganda. My friend, please relax. We're all on your side. You know how you need us. I don't need my army of so-called advisors and helpers to tell me the man who's revitalized just single-handed is more or less out of his brain when it's very clear he's saying Get caught in that trap After all Winning or losing reflects on us all Oh, don't give me that crap I win, no one else does And I take the rap if I lose It's not quite that simple The whole world's tuned in We're all on display We're not merely sportsmen. Oh, please don't start spouting that old party line. Yes, I know it's your job, but just get out and get me a chess playing second. In 36 hours we begin. That is if you want to win. Hopes became needs Lovers' possessions Then they move in Oh, so discreetly Slowly at first Smiling too sweetly I opened doors They walked right through them Called me their friend I hardly knew them Now I'm Where I want to be and who I want to be Someone right behind to shoot me down and say you always knew I'd fall. 
Where will I be? Back where I started Don't get me wrong I'm not complaining Times have been good Fast, entertaining But what's the point If I'm concealing Not only love All other feeling Now I'm Where I wanna be and who I wanna be Doing what I always said I wouldn't Yet I feel I haven't won at all Running for my life and never looking back In case there's someone right behind you Shoot me down and say you always knew I'd fall That was episode 55 of my podcast, Get Onto My Cloud. Written and presented by me, Tim Rice, and produced by the eternally young Peter Hobbs. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.